Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome, marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Carolou Dietrich. Carolou is the former CMO and was the head of marketing that took Atlassian public. She now advises hypergrowth startups, including Build.com, Sprout Social, and 1Password. We met each other through CMO Coaches and CMO Bootcamp, where Carolou is one of the most popular instructors. She has very deep B2B knowledge and coaches both CMOs and CEOs about how to get the most out of their marketing departments. This is her second time on the show, having already enlightened us on what it's really like to be a marketer in the B2B startup world. Welcome, Kara Lou. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. Great to have you back. Today's topic, why the short shelf life of CMOs, part two, the B2B edition. This is the second show on this topic, and it follows the Kip Knight interview when she shared some very disturbing data on how CEOs and CFOs think about marketing and the CMO. We all know the CMO seat is by far the fastest churning in the executive suite. And Carrie Liu is here today to discuss this topic from a B2B perspective. Carrie Liu, why don't you give us just a top overview of what you're seeing in the B2B space for CMOs? Thanks, Mike. The CMO role is a tough one. I think if we started over, who knows if we would have chosen the same path with what we know now. You know, and there's all the things that people talk about, the challenges of it being an art and a science, um, but really it's the C-suite position that has the highest turnover. Um, most CMOs last only two to three years, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, Manish Mehta at Tangents, recently did some research of B2B sitting CMOs, and only 20% have been in their jobs for four years or longer. So... Lots of turnover, lots of scrutiny. And today we're going to talk about the top five reasons those CMOs get fired. So, so this before we go into the into the uh the framework of how you got to the top five, um, this has been for 20 years since Spencer Stewart started measuring this in 2003, the top turning job in the executive suite every single year. And what you're telling us today is. It's no different in B2B than it is in B2C. It's still pretty much a tough, tough job and hard to say. So I'm, you know, I'm going to the dentist for an uplift after our little chat here. So, so <laughs> Carrie Lou, tell us about your framework of the top five reasons uh CMOs get get or lose their jobs. I hate to say the word fired. So mm -hmm. just lose their jobs. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been a CMO myself, as you mentioned. Um, and so I have my experiences. I have the experiences of my many friends who are CMOs. And then the last four years, I've been advising hypergrowth B2B tech companies, mostly between 30 million and 500 million in revenue. Um, and I advise the CEOs and CMOs on marketing, market strategy, business strategy. But mostly I start advising companies when they've fired their CMO 
are thinking about firing their CMO or have a junior vice president that they're not sure um, can grow into the CMO role. So for the last several years, I've gotten to hear directly from the CEOs why they're firing um, their, their CMOs. And much of it um, you know, will be consistent, I think, for what, what we see in B2C as well. Um, and some of it is unique to the challenges that B2B marketers have of not just driving revenue and owning it, but also having to influence a lot through a sales organization. So in B2C, you can own your sales, or even at Atlassian, where we had product-led growth, I could own both the marketing and the, the sales revenue. But for most B2B CMOs, they can get lost in a world of, um, of difficult sales funnels and close rates as well. So it sounds like, given your friend's research and the fact that B2B turnover is very similar to B2C turnover, that business is good for you. So it's great that you have this framework. Let's get right into it. You've identified uh, five reasons CMOs don't keep their jobs in the B2B space. Let's let's kind of talk about that as an overview, and then we can get into each one and, and drain it a little bit. So so give us give us kind of that top line here. So the highlight of all five of them, the first one is really just about the performance, which makes sense that we need to meet marketing goals and revenue goals. The second is really about marketing insight or, or market insight. You know, how does your product meet the needs of your ideal customer profile? Um, what product and market innovations, what vision can you describe to the, um, the market? Uh, the third, I have a, a whole category of, of, of third, fourth, fifth that I think all fall under losing trust in this from the CEO, CRO, and CFO, um, where market performance and market vision are a clear number one and number two. I think three, four, and five are lesser. One is really understanding the impact levers of the business and how to invest in those to change and accelerate growth. Um, fourth is... Um, the ability to scale. Does the company's leadership have confidence in your ability to lead the company to the next several stages of growth? Um, and then team, have you really built a strong leadership team and by extension, a strong organization? And, and these five reasons are a combination of what I see um, being a limiting factor for CMOs to stay in their job. And then is it, we'll, we'll talk about this as we go through these. But um, but let's talk also about if I'm in a hyper growth company, does that ratchet up the pressure on me or am I safer because the business is booming? So the irony of hyper growth is you're never growing fast enough for your venture capitalists. Yeah. Um, at Atlassian, we were once failing miserably at our 42% growth because we were supposed to grow 48%. Um, or, you know, some of my clients... Um, are expecting three times growth and they are miserable at two and a half times growth. Um, so definitely nothing's ever good enough. Um, but beyond that, what's so complicated about a hyper growth company is that things are changing so fast. You don't really have a chance to um, establish a norm uh, before that norm changes again. And it's really hard to grow on the job. You know, when when you go from a company that's 10 million in revenue to 50 million to 100 to 300 million, there's a very different structures and patterns that you need to run as the leaders. Um, and, you know, if you work for a slow growing company, 
that goes through those stages over 15 years, you can adapt as you grow. If you go through those stages in five or six years, every year is totally different than the year before. Um, and without the right infrastructure, mentors, or um, bench of leaders underneath you, it's really hard to keep up. Also, my guess is in hypergrowth, expectations are changing at speed as well. Like it's not just revenue, but then it's also the belief that you can continue to get revenue. You know, that's whole sales overnight, brand over time thing. And, and I don't know how important the brand is in this space. But so the first thing is is performance. And it's it's not just raw performance. It's performance versus expected expectations is what I hear you saying. Mm -hmm. And that those expectations are moving around a lot. And so your ability as a CMO to actually be grooved in the expectations, help set them and help manage the investors. That's 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 a big challenge on performance because performance is, as you just said, a moving target. Am I getting that right? Exactly. It's not just your ability to meet the goal, but your ability to shape the right goals. And I'm seeing that a lot in market right now because um, in the B2B space, and in this economy generally, I think with the, the pressure of the economy, there's just a slowdown on buying. People are seeing slower buying cycles. They're seeing smaller um, first contract values. They're seeing a longer, um, there are more people in the buying cycle. Buying is just slowing down. And so marketers um, who may have had some sort of top of funnel um, leads goals are not seeing the revenue that they would have expected from those leads in past years. And so some people in the business are like, hey, let's double the leads at the top of the funnel. Why don't marketing, why don't you bring in more leads? Because they're closing too slowly. But most businesses don't even have the money to do that. And most, right. you know, most marketers, if they could have doubled the leads at the top, and they would have asked for that money. If all I had to do was ask, I would have right? tripled the leads. Why so, stop at double? So uh -huh. there's a lot going on in the market right now where um, CMOs have to be negotiating with their sales leader um, counterparts and saying like, hey, we'll try to increase the top of funnel, but you've got to increase the conversion rate down funnel. Um, and then there's a lot of work that marketers are doing, not just to source revenue, but influence revenue. You know, over the last several years, we've really seen the growth of automated account-based marketing, which basically means... Um, sales support where marketing is helping identify the right large clients and nurturing with different events or emails or engagements while the salespeople uh, people are selling. So the goals around what is performance and then how do you hit that performance is critical um, for CMOs that are successful and have tenure. Okay. So that, that implies that you are out in front of with the CFO and the CEO really managing expectations at a time when people are really used to hyper growth. So what's reason number two? So reason number two um, factors into, you know, when I talk to CMO, CEOs, there's two things that they're balancing as they're trying to decide on a business to business CMO. C, CMO too many Cs. Um, do they have really strong demand gen chops? Can they get us revenue? And do they have really strong product marketing or brand or communications chops? And so there's both the, the mathematics of running the machine, but then there's the art of, of driving the business strategy around the product vision, the company vision, the market vision, around really understanding the ideal customer profile. And, and some CMOs who are great at demand gen just don't have a seat at the table with the CEO and the head of product and engineering to talk about the future of the company. Um, and that's the second most common reason that people get fired 
the CEO doesn't feel like they can spar about the future of the business and the product, that marketing is just working the machine. And we had a good uh, discussion on this with Paul Madera on what VCs really think about marketing and the venture capital spaces. They don't think about it that much until they hit like that 50, 60, 70 million size where the brand matters. All they care about in the beginning is demand gen. And that's what they've hired for. And so the ability to make that pivot, especially if you have no training on how to do that, that you're saying that's a, that's a pretty much tough stopper. If you're in that situation, what do you do? Like, what do you do if you're great at demand gen and then people want you to do more? What am I supposed to do if I'm a CMO in that space? Well, you do the same thing as if you were great at product marketing and need to be a CMO who knows demand gen. You hire exceptionally smart people to be your directs and help you craft a plan and look smart. And, you know, um, the CMO of Workday came up through PR. Yeah. Uh, the CMO of um, Oracle for a long time came up through events first. Um, you know, the CMO, the, the first CMO, vice president of marketing at Lassian before me came up through sales. You know, you can come into the CMO role through a number of different um, avenues, but you need to keep expanding your knowledge and breadth if you're responsible for all the functions. And you have to be ahead. You can't be behind. Like you can't be hiring a year after you need to have that person. You have to be ahead, right? Yeah. Well, you're jumping to number five, which we could go to, but you know. No, I don't, I don't want to break pattern because I know okay, you're very okay. structured. Let's go to three. Uh, great. So number three is connected to number one. It's really about knowing what your impact levers are in the business. So Part of hitting your performance is knowing what aspects of the machine are helping you get there. Um, so for many hyper-growth companies, SEO and their website and organic traffic um, should provide 70 to 80% of the inbound leads. And continuing to nurture that or overcome mistakes that you might make are really critical to hitting the, the number and giving the board and your CEO confidence that you know where you're going to get your growth. Um, similarly, a strong analysis of the um, return on investment and cost of acquisition for your paid channels. Um, I know, Mike, you hired a marketing CFO in yeah. many of your roles so that you would have a really trustworthy set of metrics. Um, but in, in, in my world, the, one of the number one questions that the board asked CMOs is, if I gave you X million more dollars, yeah. what revenue more could you contribute? And many CMOs just, it's certainly in the early stages don't have the instrument instrumentation, but, but many also just don't have a very good sense for where they could put money to accelerate growth or, or meet growth, or now accelerate growth at an efficient cost ratio. And so I think this one can be a fuzzy reason, but um, you know they don't really know how to help us grow to the next level would be the nomenclature a CEO might use. Yeah, I, well, I, I hear that, which is I've been running the levers, but I don't understand how they interact with each other and how they operate at scale. I hear you saying that, that that's a big stopper. And then, then you're talking about, all right, if I don't, it, it, you know, the difference between levers and scale, because scale, it, it, it looks like you can do the same thing, but scale when you have more people and more stuff. Tell us a little bit about what what is it when people say, all right, so-and-so just doesn't have it in them to scale as we get bigger. Is it is it the lever thing or is there more to it? So I think that there's two components. And, and again, if you look at it from early stage startups, a person that you need to run your team 
up to $15 million in revenue, let's say, or a hundred million is a very different leader. So at 15 million, you kind of need someone who's really hands-on, who's going to get in the weeds and probably has a team of only directs. And when you are at a hundred million or 200 or 500 or a billion, you know, you have teams of nested leaders under you. So for starters, it's just a kind of different role. Um, And people can grow through those roles and do, do both of them, but there's kind of some different skills. Uh, And then often in this hyper growth B2B startup phase, um, there's just different inflection points where you get to different types of growth. So initially you're trying to have an idea that has product market fit. Like, does anyone want to buy this idea? And then you get to a stage where you have product market fit, but maybe you've sold a bunch of different deals that look kind of different. And now you need kind of repeatable, scalable structure. Like, hey, we can sell the same kind of deal over and over. And then you're like, okay, great. We're selling the same kind of deal over and over and all the early adopters and friends and family love it. But now how do we get, let the outside world know about us? So now you're doing, you know, new, more awareness skills versus kind of core product marketing and growth marketing. And then you get to a place where you're like, okay, we've like grown so much. How do we, you know, hit the next level? And at some point, you know, you become a multi-product company. And then you get into big partnerships and maybe you get into big distribution channels and then you get into different growth through global regions. Um, And so each of these stages of growth where there's these kind of step ups require some different skills of people who have seen different patterns or who are hiring the right people to see those patterns. Which is number five. But I want to I want to step in before we get to number five, because I know I tried to jump to number five earlier. But what I hear you talking about, and if I'm getting this wrong, stop me, total addressable market. In the beginning, I can just grab the easiest total addressable market that is there. And if I have to create individual deals with each each of the B2B people I am trying to get, that's totally fine. As I get bigger, I have to start standardizing that total addressable market. And then if I want the full total addressable market, I actually have to have multiple products and a single brand probably to market them along with sales, which is totally different scalable skills that you you don't start out with in the beginning, right? Right. And, you know, some CMOs would call that expanding your addressable market. When you started, that market wasn't even addressable yet. But as you launch new products or acquire new companies, you can address more problems um, and and expand your products. Adjust- and the ability to the ability to be in that discussion about where is the market and how do I get it, and then does it all move off the same levers? That if I summarize one through four, there's a lot in there. To if you can't see that as a CMO, it's it's tougher. It's going to be tougher for you. Right. I mean, and you know, some really strong vice presidents of marketing at small companies like know which ads are working best and which kind of articles get the most response and, you know, which sales materials the sales team needs to close the deals now. But the difference between a vice president and a CMO and a CMO that really lasts is someone that's almost a CEO in training, someone that who's looking at the market and and really sparring with the top executives, the other C-suite, to figure out where the company needs to go next not just how to execute what we know about now, but to take some, some to, to co- collect research and make some really informed decisions about what bets the company should make to grow further. 
right? You're moving from an ex execution driven person to a strategic driven person. So, and then let's talk about as you hit this scale, you know, I recent number five, I know is the team. Let's talk about building the team and building the team ahead of the problem. So I was talking to a CEO in the last couple months who told me, I really like my CMO. She's really bright. She's working really hard, but she just hasn't really built a team that I believe in. Like her directs don't seem like the future leaders of our company. And then I, I'm, I'm unsure if they're hiring the right people. And I really care about kind of the longevity while she's here and when she's gone. I want to know that we're building the like, you know, 2X and 3X team that we're going to need to get us to 2X and 3X. And if she can't get the right team in place by the end of the year, I think I might have to change um, and put someone in place who can. And so, that, how do I how do I think about that as a CMO? Because there's lots of judgment in there. So much judgment. So much judgment. But, you know, I think hiring and firing is absolutely the hardest part of being a leader. I have yeah. I find it really hard to interview people and judge them and say no. There's an emotional dis distance that I have to take from myself because as a person, as the human Carrie Lou, I want to believe the best in everyone and see their potential. Uh, you know, and I've had a boss, one of my favorite bosses, who always saw more in people than they saw in themselves. But sometimes you have to say this isn't the right person in the interview or in the job, um, and you have to make changes. And most leaders take longer than they should, especially the more junior you are, to get rid of someone who you kind of have a sense isn't the right fit. Well, um, the other thing I that think that reflects I, poorly on you as a leader. Also, if you're really slow, you don't have the people in place for the growth when it happens, and then it's it's going to be tougher. So there's the human Carrie Lou that wants to see the best in people, and then there's the robot Carrie Lou come out when you have to change the people. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. So so let's talk about we have these top five reasons. How if you're in job now and you see some of these reasons running around, which you probably are as a CMO, you're always looking at these reasons because you're trying to scale with the company in the marketplace. How do I defend against these reasons, like shortening my job span? Like what's the best thing I can do as a CMO today to stay in job and, and prevent any of these five reasons from uh, biting me? So the first thing is not so surprising, but I think it's to have open conversations with the CEO about how he or she thinks you're doing. So I was on the phone with a different CEO and I said, oh, how's this new CMO doing? You know, who I meet with frequently. And he's like, meh. Wow. Like, yeah, that's what yeah. we want. Why meh? He's like, well, you know, he's, he's kind of independent and he's not taking me along for the journey. I feel a lot closer to all these other C-suite um, that I've hired frequently. And I'm like in their plans and I see how they're developing. So if you take 10,000 foot view, this new CMO could be like, hey, I'm doing a great job. I'm independently coming up with plans. I'm presenting finalized plans to the CEO. I'm not wasting his time, right? All the things you'd think were the right strategy. And in this case with this CEO, he wanted to come along for the journey a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I think it's hard to get feedback, um, but feedback is a gift. Um, and, and it's hard to ask for feedback. Um, and then when you get it, sometimes you don't even believe it. You're like, well, because of this and that. But the, the first and most important thing is to understand what the perception is. Because all of these reasons we went through 
could be legitimate um, reasons you get fired, or they could be excuses they use to fire you because it's a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. I, I think um, no marketer can fully track all aspects of their performance because of the nature of brand and influence and multi-year influence. Um, but asking for the advice first is most important. Second is really having a rock solid data um, infrastructure executive dashboard reporting framework or marketing CFO, like we talked about. Um, third is really investing in your knowledge of the market and the customers, really trying to bring insights that are unique to your channel, to the C-suite to help them make decisions. Um, and I think three is really building a great leadership team that elevates you um, and fills in your weaknesses. Yeah, I think if I summarize that, it's like staying ahead of the marketplace versus behind. And even then it's tough, but you want to stay ahead as much as you can in the structure, the expectations, the math and everything else. I think very good advice. So um, as we, we as we move to a close here, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners that we haven't talked about today um, or we haven't talked about yet that you'd like to share? I think there's two quick things if I can do two, because one of them is wow. I'm, all right, I'm, fine too. Well, I'm cynical <laughs> about lots of CMOs being unjustly fired this year. I think that the market is bad. Our metrics have fundamentally changed with these slower sales cycles, less buying, and marketing gets blamed when the business isn't performing. Either it gets blamed because marketing's not providing enough leads when people just aren't interested in buying, or um you know, they're going to save money for six months. And so they can cut in marketing and start up again later yeah. um, when the product is advanced or something. So I, th I think that a, like, it's going to be a hard year to be a CMO. And second, what I would say is some of the CMOs, all of the CMOs that I respect most have all been fired in their career. Being fired is not an isolated experience for people who have been through many different top level executive jobs. And I, I think being fired doesn't define someone's career. Um, what they do next does. And all these CMOs who have confided in me about the time they were fired, most of whom don't blog about it till after they've retired. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's a range of things, right? Didn't gel with the CEO, um, didn't like the culture of the company, but their vision for the market and strategy didn't um, align with the rest of the org, you know, some of what we covered today and some, some more expansiveness of like bad luck, bad timing, bad environment, bad investors, all sorts of things. And so I guess I would just encourage people if you've been fired or, you know, get um, caught up in the like hooplas that's going to happen in a recessionary year that um, to stay in the game and to keep expanding your skills and expanding your relationships with great people and expanding your depth of knowledge. Cause I think everyone gets a chance, um, to a chance at another great company. If you just keep at it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Yes. And we, we are going to do a show on this later this year about what I learned from like what all of us learned from actually not staying in job or being fired. And, you know, we do do have that session when we're at CMO boot camp about all of us, like what we learned from not not succeeding. Well, uh, and we fire others too, right? I mean, how yes. many of us have walked away from a CEO where you like don't believe in their strategy, 
don't believe this company can be successful. Like right. it goes both ways, right? Like, um, you know, often great CEOs f- leave a job early because they know it's not going to be successful for the, the long run. So managing yeah. your career smartly, like if the company can't hit its performance because the product sucks, you should leave immediately. <laughs> I agree. Like I have this thing, like being a CMO is like being a major league manager. And sometimes a team can't win. And you you that may be late on you, uh, maybe late on the team. In the end, you probably got to move to a team where, where you and the team can win. And there's, you know, but you got to keep trying. So anyways, thank you, Carrie Lou. And thanks to everyone for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for our other shows, including Carrie Lou's earlier session on what's it really like to be a marketer in the B2B startup world. We're on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Some other topics which may interest you include what your agency wants to tell you but won't, parts one and two. Uh, Is the CMO species headed for extinction? And how private equity really thinks about marketing. If you like our show, please be sure to rate us. And all you marketers, Be safe out there. This is Mike Linton at CMO Confidential signing off. And thank you, Carrie Lou. This episode of CMO Confidential is produced and sponsored by Adcom, one of the premier integrated marketing and advertising agencies. Adcom works with mid-market companies to create measurable returns. With 30 plus years experience, Adcom partners to lead innovative strategy, creative, media, and analytics for growth-oriented brands that want to differentiate themselves in a crowded field. Working in B2B, B2C, healthcare, financial services, transportation, building products, and consumer goods, Adcom leverages unique internal and external insights to create dynamic and lasting brands ready to maximize their market position. For more information, visit us at engageadcom.com. Tired of the same old productivity hacks? Have you read the top 20 books on effectiveness and yet your workdays and email inbox still causing anxiety, burnout, and even depression? Ready to learn the latest in brain-based modalities, techniques, and technologies to optimize your success and well-being? Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast, where we'll illuminate your path to spacious productivity and balanced thriving. Each week, we dive into deeply insightful and immediately impactful methods to help you become highly effective while promoting health, profitability, and well-being. Say goodbye to the trance of busyness and hello to your highest potential. It's time to discover a new way of accelerating your mission, growth, and purpose. Join us on the Focus to Evolve podcast and get ready to live your most joyful, productive, and fulfilling life. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. 
I'll also be sharing Business Bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.